Welcome back, everyone. We will now turn our attention to the reading and preaching of God's Word. And to help us with the reading of Scripture this morning, I'm going to invite Jay to come up and to read our Scripture passage for today. Our reading today is from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. That's quite a story. Can you imagine living in a city like this? A city where everybody shares and where Everybody shares in a way where nobody has any need. It it sounds a tad utopic, doesn't it? Actually, it sounds like a dream, a wish that will never come to pass. You know, not very long ago, and you remember this, uh, at the beginning of COVID, remember how people responded, how they kind of piled into grocery stores and elbowed each other and grabbed the toilet paper and the butter and whatever they needed. And then they poured out and stocked up their homes. Uh, one of my neighbors, I asked him, hey, I said, uh, can, you, can you loan me some sugar, a cup of sugar? I actually asked if I could borrow some sugar. And he said, no, we're going to need that. Now, that, that was the first wave of covid We're now entering the second surge of COVID. And as I look at this story this morning, and maybe as you look at it yourselves, it it just, it seems like, like, did this ever happen? Did, Did this community ever exist? Was there ever a time in history where so many people came together and they shared and shared in a way where nobody had any need whatsoever? The church did. They really did. In the first century, in the city of Jerusalem, a community of believers, Christians, numbering in the thousands, actually lived this way. How? How were they they able to give and share in a way where nobody had any need whatsoever? And there is only one reason. There's only one good reason. And it's, it's embedded right here in our story. The pastor says that great grace came upon that community. The apostles, they testified to the resurrection of Jesus Christ with great power. And the result was that great grace came upon the early church. And the result of great grace was great sharing, great sharing. The reason why the early church shared the way that they did was because they had an encounter with great grace. Now, truly, this is an extraordinary 
story. And I don't think we've actually seen anything like it um, since this moment in history. I'm not suggesting this, moment, uh, this morning that this is, is a normative story for the church in terms of how we should share. But I, I do want to suggest that when great grace comes upon a community, upon our community, that the result will be great sharing. And, and, and could we at least be moving in the direction of what we see here in our story this morning? When great grace comes upon our community, it's going to change things. Two things will change. First, uh, great grace will change the way that we think about sharing. And secondly, great grace changes the way that we practice sharing. Let's look at those things together. First, great grace changes the way that we think about sharing. As I studied this passage over the years and interacted with different literature, I've noticed that um, every economic system claims this story for themselves. Christian socialists, Christian communists, they tell us that this passage proves that there was no um, case or class system in the early church. Everything belonged to everybody. But then I've read Christian capitalists who come along and say, "Uh uh-uh, wait, the passage doesn't teach that. It It says this, that the people only said that the things that belonged to them were not theirs. It, it wasn't that they weren't theirs, they just treated their things as though they weren't theirs so that they could share with those in need. They say this is classic capitalism. When I was a younger man, I read a book called, uh, by Adam Smith called The Wealth of the Nations. It's been a long time since I read um, that book, so things are a little bit sketchy in my memory, and I try to do my research and find this, but I believe that Adam Smith said that, that true capitalism is like a stool with three legs, and it has to have all three legs. It has to have industry, working hard. It has to have economy, saving your money, and it has to have charity, sharing with those in need. As I've looked at capitalism, at least its expression in Western culture, I have seen industry and I have seen economy. But I have never seen charity. I've never seen sharing, at least not on the level of what we see here in our passage this morning. In fact, I have never seen any economic system able to promote the kind of sharing that even comes close to what we see in our story this morning. Why is that the case? Because the problem is really not primarily outside of us. That's not really where the problem lies. The problem lies within the human heart. We have been born into this world, into a broken world, a world full of sin with hearts that are sinful. And the broken, sinful human heart, its basic instinct is to say, mine, mine, my stuff is mine. Evidence? Fine. I have raised many children. 
and I have had the, uh, the opportunity to watch them grow and watch them develop. <clears throat> and I remember when I was um, one day with one of my children, and we were on the floor. He was playing. They were playing with a toy. And I said, can I have that toy? And this is when this child was, was young. I mean, just learning to speak. And the word that came out of their mouth, the, the, the only word that came out of their mouth, guess what it was? That's right. Mine. Mine. And I, I looked at this child, and I said to myself, really, really, that's yours. Did you, did you work for that? Did you earn the money to buy that thing, that toy? Mine. And, you know, I don't remember ever teaching my kids that. I don't remember teaching them to think that way. I never picked up one of my children and then walked them around the house and said, you know, you see that table? That table is mine. Or, or do you see that piano over there? That piano is mine. In fact, look around this house. Everything that you see is mine. Nothing, nothing here belongs to you. Nothing. I never taught my kids to talk that way. Mine. I never did. Wendy and I never had to teach our children to be selfish and to be possessive and greedy. They kind of came that way. We didn't have to teach them not to be selfish. Uh, we had to teach them to share or to teach them how to, to be selfish. We had to teach them to share. And why is that? Why is that? Because there is in each of our hearts as John Calvin, that, that great theologian, said, we have an idol factory in our hearts, and we just pump and churn out idols. If we can make an idol out of something, we will make an idol out of something. And we do. We ask anything to replace God. And we ask these things to save us, and that includes the things that we own. Let's go a bit deeper here for a second. Because I don't think that the things that we own are actually the deep idols of our hearts. I think they're surface idols. I think they're near idols. They are the gateway, the pathway to what we're really trying to get. What are we trying to get through our stuff? You know, it could be success. It could be security. It could be peace. It could be uh, just a sense of approval and, wow, aren't you great? And these are the things that we ask our things to give us. But here's the thing. They can't give us what we're ultimately looking for, and they will enslave us. A little while ago, I watched a, a YouTube video about how to catch a monkey. Because, you know, who doesn't want to catch a monkey? And this is how the hunters catch a monkey. They find a large mound of hard earth and then they they bore a hole into it and and in the, that hole they they put some nuts and then they close it up except for an opening that's just large enough for the monkey to stick its paw and then they hide then the monkey comes along sticks his hand into the hole the opening grabs the nuts and then the hunters spring on the monkey well because the monkey's stupid because the monkey's greedy 
it won't let go of the nut and it can't pull its hand out of the hole. And then the hunters bag the monkey. And that's how you catch a monkey. Now, I don't know if this is true. I mean, it is YouTube, but it's a good story. And it tells us that in this life, we're going to cling to something. If you cling to anything other than grace, you are going to find yourself holding on to that thing for dear life. I guess the question is, how was the, how was the early church able to sort of open its paw and share with those in need? What did they know? What did they get? What did they see? What was it that changed them? And friends, it was great grace. They were united to each other, but they were united to Jesus Christ, to the risen Jesus Christ, to a Savior, hear this, who came and did not say, mine, who came and shared his life with us, who shared his life with us by dying on a cross to forgive our sins, your sins, to bring you to God. He shared everything. He shared the one thing that is more important than anything else. He shared his own life with his people, the church. And the early church got that. They grasped it. And as they grasped that great message with great power, great grace came upon them. And they shared. They opened up their hearts. They opened up their hands. They opened up their lands. And they gave to those in need so that there was nobody in need at all. 2 Corinthians 8-9 says this, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. When you understand the great grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and how he didn't say mine, but he, he gave himself, all of himself, for you. It really does begin to change the way that you interact with the things that you own in your life. When you have Christ, you have everything that you need, everything that you could possibly want. And if you have that, if you're clinging to that grace, you won't find the need to cling to your stuff. But you'll open your hands, you'll open your hearts, and you'll give, and will give, until there's not one single need in our midst. Great grace changes. It changes the way that we think about sharing. But it does a second thing. It also changes the way that we actually practice sharing. Did you notice that? Did you notice how the early church practiced sharing? This is important because it shows us what great grace will do. It says, as many as were owners of land, houses, they sold them and brought what they possessed. And whatever they sold, they laid at the apostles' feet. Okay, so people, they looked at their property they looked at their land, they sold, they sold what they could, and they, they left it, they deposited it at the feet of the apostles. And from there, it was distributed 
to everyone who had need. Now, what I want you to notice is this. I want you to notice what the passage, what the story doesn't say. What doesn't it say? You know, sometimes what's important is not just what the scriptures say, but what they don't say. What doesn't the story say? What it doesn't say is that the apostles forced or told the early church to go sell their property and then bring it so that it could be delivered to those in need, the funds. It doesn't say that. And nobody who was in need said, we have needs. Would you please help us? That's not what happened. Here's what happened. Those who had property, those who had land, those who had houses, they looked around them and they actively went and chose to sell their property and their homes and gave them to those in need, the money to those in need. There was nothing really spontaneous or passive about the way that they gave. They were scheming in the best way. They were calculating. that They were active in the way that they gave. And I'll tell you something. This is, this is what happens when great grace comes upon a community. Because this is the shape that grace takes. Think about this with me for a second. Think about this. God the Son was not forced by God the Father to come and save us. Jesus Christ was not passive. It, it, what he did did not happen spontaneously. It was planned. He planned to come and save us before the foundation of the world. He was absolutely intentional. He was absolutely calculating in his choice to love and save the church. That's the shape that grace takes. And when, when people are united to this Christ, the life of Christ in them will manifest itself in a way where people are not just giving or sharing spontaneously, though there's nothing wrong with that. But we begin to think more strategically. And we begin to walk around our own lives and we think about the ways that we can give. How do we do this? How do we give the way that the early church gave? How do we practice sharing? How do we do this? A few things. Think about these things. First of all, we need to pray. Listen, we need to pray that we would experience in our community uh, such a great outpouring of great grace upon us that, that we would be so moved by what Christ has done for us and the way that he intentionally and actively lived for us and died for us that we would begin more and more to intentionally and actively, strategically Look at our lives and think of ways to give. It begins with prayer. Oh God, would you move and would you move with power, great power by the gospel. And just by that power, by that power, let there be an outpouring of grace so that I practice sharing just the way that Jesus shared his life with me. We begin with prayer. We begin with prayer. And then we look around us at the needs in our midst. We look for the people who need help. That's what the early church did. 
They looked at the needs around them. They could see the people. They could see their faces. They knew their names. They knew their needs. They lived closely enough to see them. Do you see that? I guess the question we have to ask, though, is this, that while we're living in COVID, while we're distancing ourselves from one another, how are we as a community going to get close enough to see the needs of those around us? Now, for the past few weeks, we have been encouraging you to embed yourself in a, in a small group. And we've done this for so many good reasons. One of them, though, if you think about it, is that these small groups will locate you, will bring you in proximity to the needs of people. You'll be able to see them and then respond to them, which is the next step. We pray and we look at the needs around us. And then we look at our lives. We walk around our lives and we see what we have. And then we say to ourselves, what can I share? And if you're thinking just about money this morning, think further. Because the sharing that we get to practice is so much more than money. It is money, but it's so much more than that. It is the sharing of your life and all that comprises your life. It is, it's, it is, it's a way of living where we are thinking about people in need and we're meeting those needs with what we have. There are people in our community who are going through a, a really tough financial time. They need our help. They need your help. There are people who are lonely. They need your presence. There are people with no one to talk to. They need your ear. They need your heart. They need everything that God has made you to be to fill the needs in their life. And that's what it looks like when, when the great grace of God comes down upon a community. We begin to think this way. We pray for that great grace. We, we look around us at the needs, and then we figure out ways to meet those needs in very strategic and, and purposeful ways. We are, we are a community, friends, that needs great grace. And when great grace comes upon our community, it's going to change us. It'll change the way that we share it will change the way that we think about sharing. It will change the way that we actually practice sharing. And I just want to encourage you with this. I think that Grace West is one of the purest, the truest, and the most beautiful expressions of the kind of sharing that I see here in this story. As your pastor, I, I have the privilege of often getting a front row seat into what the Lord is doing in your life and through your life. And I have heard stories over the past few weeks of, of how grace has come upon our community and how grace has worked its way out in beautiful, sharing ways. For the past two weeks, I've heard a story of a woman and her family at Grace West, who has just been going through the most difficult time. And I, I know that some of you have come alongside of her 
in really extraordinary ways. Why? Because of great grace. Because you get great grace. And I have heard stories of people reaching out to people who are lonely, to people who are struggling, and I haven't even heard a fraction of it. Grace West, you are a beautiful expression of what we see here in this story. Are we identical? No, but what church is? But I'll say this, we are moving in the right direction. But I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to take another step in this season and to seek God's grace, God's great grace, so that we will be a community that shares. And our hope and prayer is this, that there will not be a need among us. And friends, if we will be that church, if we will be a church that knows the great grace of Jesus Christ, that will turn heads. Amen.